0: Welcome to another episode of The Science of Feeding the World. Uh, today we talk with Dr. Sajeev EM. It's
1: exciting, this it is episode.
0: Well, exciting. We
1: did everything. We, we spun did a everything. lot
0: of plates. We did. We spun a lot of we plates. We
1: did some juggling. Fingers and
0: pads. Different hands. Not as many plates as Sajeev is spinning. He's just a very busy man. We're very lucky that he made time <laughs> yeah, for us.
2: My head was spinning. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Alex has a
1: cold. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Of feeding the world
3: yes. Yes.
1: Yes. 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 Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Science of Feeding the World podcast. I'm Hannah McGrath.
0: I'm Gary Froon. I'm Alex Dye.
1: And this week we are here with agricultural systems modeler, Dr. Sajeev...
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I, I didn't have a choice with my name, so um. it's just my parents, um, yeah.
1: Well, how would you say it? Actually, you know,
3: I mean, if I was in India, it yeah. would just say Sajib E M. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. yeah, uh, but yeah. I think uh, basically it's like Sajib Irangapurath Mohan Kumar. So Irangapurath is the family name. Mohan Kumar is my dad's name. Mm. And uh, I've missed two flights, um, been held up at so many airports because there's a lot of you know people tend to misspell it because <laughs> it's oh, super wow. long. Okay. So my parents never thought I would make it out of India so <laughs> but here I am talking to you guys today so
1: so Dr Sajeev EM
3: that's perfect yeah wonderful easier for everyone <laughs> yeah.
1: so what goes in must come out why shit matters is what I have been given the creative freedom to title this episode yeah would you like to clarify about why organic amendments manure shit whatever you like to call it why that matters?
3: Yeah, the title that I have here at Rothamsted is a postdoc uh, working on as an agricultural systems modeler. So I look at cropping systems and also livestock. I mean, I like the creative freedom that you took. Uh, so I, 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 I did. I did work diplomatic. on uh, manure. So basically, I looked at manure as um, emission source. So I think a lot of times, uh, you know, when you look at livestock and manure is produced, it's a source of nutrients for the soil. But at the same time, if it's not managed properly, there's emissions coming from manure. It could be ammonia emissions, which leads to air pollution, and then also nitrous oxide emissions, which is a greenhouse gas. So one of the things that I look at is how to like, manage this manure in a sustainable way so you can reduce emissions. And it's quite interesting as well because there is a lot of feedback between different emission sources. So there are certain ways to reduce greenhouse gas emissions like nitrous oxide, but then you end up increasing ammonia emissions.
1: Have you just summarized your entire PhD in like, I don't know, 35 seconds or something,
3: Matt? I've, yeah, I've been trained to do it. So that yeah. is a yeah.
1: massive score. So this was your PhD?
3: That was my PhD, yeah. When
1: did you finish that? Uh,
3: that was uh, in 2018.
1: Okay, so a few years ago now.
3: Yeah, I was in Austria at the time, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, so. Mm. Exciting.
1: Why are you here? Why did you go <laughs>
3: outside? I ask that question myself every day. <laughs> like, No, no, but I mean, is an exciting place to work, so yeah. So... It's quite-
1: if we talk about the context of why uh, mm. kind of emissions in farming matter, do you want to put that perhaps I into some context. wonder about that?
0: Because people, you hear people talking about methane from cow farts and the, the yeah. kind of stuff that comes from manure, and I'm like, is there really that many cow farts in the world? Like that—that's causing a problem. Is there that much manure? How do you know how how is it? So, is it a big enough problem to affect Does climate it change? All of that thing
1: to a flight.
2: We have, I know yeah. we have um, at Rothamsted as part of our science communication thing. There's a there's this plastic cow thing that we take out to <laughs> oh, all of yes. our events. Oh yes, everywhere. It's like yeah, an yeah. example. There's you know uh, greenhouse gas emissions from cows sure, and yeah. livestock, yeah. and it's this cow. That obviously, the kids come up and they go, oh look at the cow, and they press a button and it goes Burr, yeah, really yeah, yeah. loud. Alex, and, you <laughs> can
1: burp on demand. We all know it.
2: Yeah, I
3: mean, <laughs> so oh, <okay. laughs> basically, they um, I mean.
2: it it just gets really tiring throughout the day. But sorry, yes, back to the question.
3: No, no, I think that's that's a very important question, yeah. Mm. So I think agriculture, I mean, of course, I think you've been having conversations with previous people. Uh, It's a source of food, uh, also has environmental impacts. For instance, you know, if you look at manure alone, it leads to a lot of ammonia emissions, air pollutant. Majority of ammonia emissions comes from manure. Uh, Then if you look at climate change impacts, uh, around 10% of the greenhouse gas emissions from the world is produced from agriculture. So it is a significant emitter. But the important thing is that agricultural systems are a living system. So it's not only that it emits uh, you know, greenhouse gas emissions, but due to climate change, it gets impacted by it as well. So it's not only like, you know, you reduce emissions from agriculture, but you also sort of like try to like engineering engineer it or like try to adapt it to a way that it can cope up with the impacts. So it's, it's sort of like a very unique system in that way because it's not like a, you know, machine or something. Mm. And machine it's just or not like... like
1: a factory that you turn off. And exactly. It, you know, if yeah. you stop making cement, you, yeah. okay, you get rid of, But actually agriculture is...
3: Living. Yes, a living system. Yeah. And people need food and like we need to produce food. So we need to find a you know kind of a better or safe way to like sort of do that without impacting the planet so much. Mm. Yeah.
1: So... If we were to try and look at greenhouse gas emissions from the agricultural sector, where are they kind of coming from? Because I'm guessing, you know, there will be some food waste, there will be some livestock, there will be some um, like...
3: uh, Fuel emissions, the tractors driving around
1: the place. Um, uh, Do you know much about how those break down?
3: Yeah, I think most of the emissions come from production. Actually, uh, I mean, if you look at just food production and taking it to the farm, uh, to the supermarket aisle or something, uh, a lot of emissions, of course, come from livestock. Um, like like Gary mentioned, like methane emissions. After correct Gary a bit, it's not only farting, but it's mostly the belching. Oh really? Yeah, 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 yeah which okay, is cool. uh, yeah, yeah. more uh, methane heavy. Um, and also then there's like application of fertilizers to the soils. You know, you have these inorganic you know, fertilizers. You have nitrous oxide emissions from them. Then there's also, like, uh, water impacts. When the, this nutrient-rich water, like, runs off to the rivers and lakes, it leads to eutrophication and other sort of things, uh, leaching into groundwater. Um, and then, of course, if you look at the whole supply chain, you need to, like, sort of store this, process it.
1: Refrigeration. Ref- yeah, Cost, exactly,
3: that a lot good. of these things. And I mean, the thing is, there's so many factors that affect uh, emissions, even at a farm scale. So when you look at supply chain, it gets... Multiplied and compounded by, mm. you know, yeah, many factors. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, um, you spoke a little bit in your kind of brief introduction about ammonia and the impacts of ammonia as a air pollutant. I think sometimes when we think about emissions from livestock, we always think about like greenhouse gases, but why does ammonia matter? Yeah, I think mm. it's
3: a precursor to particulate matter, which is really bad for your lungs if you're breathing it. It leads to issues like smog, like smoke and fog, and then also leads to desertification of land, I guess.
1: How does that happen? Or is that maybe not your? <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not
3: my exact. Yeah, yeah, but I think also like I mean it it also like increases invasive species, so then okay. you have like more competition for crops. So I mean it's it's not it's not a good thing basically. I think more more important is the respiratory problems in humans and stuff with ammonia emission. So.
1: Yeah, oh. I think that there was a year where um, agriculture in the Netherlands had been doing a lot of kind of spraying of slurry so kind of like liquid manures and because of the wind direction at that time it meant that the air quality over here in the UK got impacted on by the no Netherlands and I think was oh, that 2000 okay. I, I want to say it was 2015 it might have been 16 David Cameron was in charge but there was this period where the like you said the particulate matter the really bits of, sure. of like the, the pieces we breathe in um, increased and it's kind of one of those examples of where what farmers do in another country impacts how we. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, here.
3: I think. I mean, with climate change, you see that. Like, I mean, you, know, you see this whole debate about policy of reducing emissions from India or China because, yeah, the climate is affected everywhere, not independent of where emissions are coming from. So, yeah. So cool. Hmm. So, how,
2: how much, at what point does ammonia become too much? Where, where does it start? What starts to happen as it sort of comes slightly above the level of acceptable ammonia?
3: Yeah I mean I'm not a uh, okay. ad, 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 <laughs> uh, atmospheric scientist uh, but no but I think like yeah I think uh, um th- there are like measurements I mean for instance like you know in India like you have this problem with um, uh people bursting firecrackers and leading to a lot of uh, mm. uh, you know particulate matter accumulation and then after it reaches a certain point then it's considered harmful mm. so WHO has these standards that it lays out like with terms to like the measurement and then once it crosses that then yeah but I mean the point you had note is that yeah, agriculture is is very significant contributor to ammonia emissions mm-hmm. and it's like a localized air pollutant so
1: so and these ammonia emissions typically come from the applications of manure which is what you did yeah. your PhD on
3: yeah I think so it's basically like uh, yeah how you handle manure as well so there's a lot of uh, processes that go in first you have to get the manure how you store it are you treating it and how you're applying it to the soil so it has implications on how emissions are generated so should we talk a bit about modeling
0: then? So you, we hear, I think probably pe- the general public and people who aren't scientists, like, yeah. they, you know, we hear a lot about models. We hear about climate models yeah, and sure. they, they, we kind of hear them all the time, but understanding what what is a model really? What does that even mean? Yeah. Um, what is one and kind of what, what do you do with them? How do you put a model together?
3: Um, yeah, so models are basically, I think, so I think you've spoken to people here and there's a lot of work happening at Rothamsted where you try to understand um, agricultural systems in terms of how productive they are and also what's the environmental impact. So there's a lot of people measuring emissions or measuring crop growth, looking at different soil types or different weather patterns and understanding how all of this affects different things. But I mean, there's a physical sort of like limitation as to how many combinations and permutations you can try to sort of do it physically on a field. Hmm. So what a model does, at least in very simple terms, is that it simulates these practices and puts all these permutations and combinations of management practices, weather, soil information, etc., to sort of like mimic how plants are growing uh, inside a computer. It's uh, and, Sim City. Or, yeah, yeah, sort of. Yeah. But I mean, a bit more <laughs> empirical yeah, and yeah. science based. Yeah. So
1: you do what's called simulation modeling.
3: It's simulation modeling. And then we can pull different levers inside that, like mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, what if. Uh, you know, at least from the current system, you can say that okay, what if a farmer goes to no till, like from conservation, from a conventional tillage, or what if a farmer applies more fertilizers? Like, where is the point where we say that okay, don't apply more fertilizers now because you're not going to get any benefits on the yield, you're just going to increase emissions? So, you can answer these questions, but it gets super interesting when you look at the future because there's no way you can test situations in the future on the field. For instance, climate change is going to make you know, our environment of weather, like, more warmer, what imp- implications it has on cropping systems? Should I install an irrigation system to counter that? So these sort of questions are policy questions, right? Like, yeah. what if the UK goes vegan? Like, yeah. what implications does it have on land use? What implications does it have in the environment? So, I mean, you, yeah, so this is just like basically a, like a system where you can answer these questions. Mm.
1: So what I know from doing ecology where I try and study, like, the whole your okay i don't study the whole world but you have to take into consideration these kind of huge complex um interlinking components so you know you might stop using a plow and start using more fertilizer and you know these things interact in ways that perhaps we don't even understand the science of what might happen as a kind of implication what what do you think about kind of uncertainty in modeling and' cause, you know mod, if 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 we could predict what was going to happen perfectly, then I'd constantly win the lottery kind of thing mm. you
3: know yeah, no definitely I think I think that's that's a very good question i think there's a, this uncertainty depending on you know for instance, even the weather data that comes in uh, for the future for climate change impact or something comes with an uncertainty, then you put that into this model and you compound the uncertainty by multiple folds. The way I look at it is that modeling provides your direction or like a direction of change in terms of what's happening it's not that one number that you want to depend on so it sort of like gets all the relationships and the system together to give you a trend of what could happen or what are the mm-hmm. possibilities so yeah it's not like a silver bullet sort of i thing. guess yeah. even if
0: there's some uncertainty in the result what it can also show you then is the connections between things. Right. If you exactly you yeah. adjust one thing over here and something breaks over there or something else changes over there. Um you might not have seen that I guess until you put the model together and start to see these complexities start like, to emerge and this change-
3: No, exactly. I think that's that's super important because I think like yeah, I, I I'm a I'm an agricultural systems modeler, so it's basically looking at the whole system. So, I mean, you look at, like, you know, like I said, impacts on ammonia emissions, and nitrous oxide emissions, that's a climate change was air pollution question. Or if you throw in like animal welfare into it, then that becomes a different proposition altogether. Yeah. Then there's water quality impacts. So it's just like, you know, when you consider the whole system, you kind of develop like situations where you can say like, okay, I mean, I can tolerate this up to a certain point because I don't want this to cross mm. the threshold. But if you just focus on one thing, then you're like missing the whole point. Yeah. Does
0: some of those things you mentioned, like things like animal welfare, I guess to, to put that into a model, you have to somehow quantify that, turn that into a number. Do you, is that, do you have to kind of find a way to turn everything into a number to put it in some kind of grand equation that is your system's model? And no,
3: then you... uh, yeah, I think animal welfare was more like a qualitative sort of approach that we so took.
1: qualitative mm-hmm. versus quantitative. So yeah, yeah, how do you describe that and how do you put that into a model
3: yeah no i mean in terms of animal welfare what we did was uh, we looked at like i mean i was looking at pigs at the at the point and looking at how you can reduce emissions in pig housing systems and what we found out was that if you design a system like housing system which sort of mimics like what pigs want to do outside you could sort of reduce emissions because pigs had this unique habit of like um, I don't want to say shitting, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> shitting. Defec- defecating <laughs> or whatever at uh, one place, but they don't want to lie in that place. So they will lie somewhere else. Um, What usually happens is like pigs, especially in EU and stuff, the way they're grown, is like they're grown on these slats. So they have these so- small gaps between the, you know, where they stand and it's not good for the pig's feet. I mean, they cut their feet and then they also like don't have any good areas to lie or root because they need hay or something like that to root. Um, so if we provide, like, a system where we decided that we'll have a half the stable, like, whatever, um, with hay, so they have the natural behavior of rooting and lying down and having a warm environment, but they when they want to, like, go defecate, then they go to the slatted area. And the slatted area, basically, this basically reduced emissions because you're reducing the amount of area that's exposed, manure exposed to the air, and at the same time, you're providing welfare. So it's just some kind of an approach where you're, like, yeah you can achieve both sort of like you know maybe not the perfect way but in a way that's like you know a you know a piece of like appealing for the pigs in terms of their welfare and we 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 had like four categories which we said like we want to take these four categories and this is what they get outside so we want to mimic that inside mm. the housing system and then you can reduce emissions mm. but it's it's interesting i worked with a philosopher on this and it was like uh, quite quite an experience
2: it's getting, getting deep wow no it was yeah i mean
3: uh, yeah it was quite an experience yeah it was very good though yeah
2: and wow. I, suppose it's, I suppose that with that idea you, it's not too expensive for a farmer to implement that as well so it's it's quite mm. beneficial all around because they're not going to break the bank to implement yeah. something like
3: that no it's not but I think it's yeah it's just like yeah it's need to communicate this clearly you know mm. like uh, and also like I mean things like also solutions when you implement something like this you also need to follow it to the downstream like how to use the manure and you know like yeah how to build the system and what is going to be the cost when are you going to break even so things like that are important for farmers I think yeah it's
0: time for the rapid fire questions It's time to ask some questions really, really fast
2: Let's have some rapid fire questions Woo-hoo. All right Sorry, Alex
1: Oh, that was, a rapid,
2: that was the rapidest fire Complete as well. silence for this round I mean, I have to speak, right? Yeah, yeah, but... yeah Yeah, yeah, no, no, like, yeah yeah, okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Mm.
1: Bogies We'll edit that
2: Let's wait for it
3: Beer or wine?
2: Beer all day. Saturday or Sunday?
3: Saturday for hangovers, Sunday for rest. <laughs> <laughs> Python
2: for loops or Fortran subroutines?
3: Um I don't know what that one means. A Fortran is a very old language. I mean that's the language I code in mostly. So
1: you code uh, in Fortran. Yeah, I know. It's... Get to date
3: <laughs> No, but I mean i I'm I'm imp- I'm partial towards Fortran, so I'd say Fortran, yeah. Okay. But Python is a cooler language, I think mm. it's super, super useful. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's also a snake.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. Table tennis or regular tennis?
3: Table tennis, um a soccer tennis. No, I'm horrible. See, like, it's
2: a smaller version.
3: I, well. I know, yeah, because I always end up, like, hitting the bar out of the fence. I, I don't even know if it's like physically possible, <laughs> but I managed to do it. Like, I am it so bad. Yeah. Right or wrong?
2: Wrong. It's a difficult question. A good, yeah. It's wrong. A good oh, okay. oh. Autumn or winter?
3: Autumn. Anything other than winter.
2: Night or day? Night. With your liquid manure housing systems, air scrubbers, or frequent
3: removal? Wow. I. I never expected that. Okay. Um. <laughs> wow. Uh, I, I would say, I would say frequent removal. Really? Yeah. Let's we'll I mean, e- back to that because I need to know what these things are.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: we'll come back. Okay, yeah. well, we'll, we'll go into more detail on that. Uh, you have to. Uh, you're gonna have to forgive me here for my, my my ignorance on this one. I'm gonna try and pronounce a name that I'm I'm unfamiliar with. Uh, Sachin
3: Tendulkar. Yeah, that's it. Or Stephen. No, Jerry's? no, no. So, oh. Oh. Okay. Oh. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I had an expert, the Steven Gerard one. Oh man uh, I, mm, This is so difficult uh, We're
1: going to have to play like a ticking time uh, yeah. bomb do,
3: do,
0: do, uh, We do. ask
2: the real questions on this podcast just,
1: This is the philosophy of speeding the world uh, of all the questions
3: This is the one that's clearly inflamed your passions I know no, I have to uh, People are going to kill me Like uh, <laughs> The pressure
1: I mean it was a good question
3: who made that question oh you're evil (laughs) um i would say sachin because i have yeah because i mean he's one of the first sports persons i grew up you know watching and yeah i mean there's literally times when everything used to stop the whole of india used to stop when sachin is playing cricket like he is like the god of cricket like uh, just one man carrying a billion people's dreams
2: that is a great
3: way to be
0: described. That uh, yeah, that's was also the name of brilliant. a movie. Yeah.
3: <laughs> okay, <right. laughs> I'm not taking credit for yeah, that. Yeah,
2: yeah. Last question What's the last film that made you cry?
3: The last movie I saw was Jojo Rabbit, which is hilarious. That's the <laughs> but... same answer that. Marley no, no, but no that's, it didn't make me cry, though. Um, actually, the last movie that made me cry is so weird. It's an action movie. <laughs>
1: Uh, I, I cried at Wonder Woman. I have no. Yeah. It depends on the actually. Movie. No, yeah, I cried at every Marvel film ever. I think.
3: Mm. Yeah, that's yeah. No, but this movie is called Ip Man. Yeah, Ip Man. I know Ip Man. Yeah, yeah. so he's one of the guys. This martial art called Wing Chun, and yeah, he yeah, yeah. he had like Bruce Lee has a student, yeah, and then he Bruce Lee took it to America. Anyway, this is the fourth installment of the movie. I've not watched the fourth one. Yet. Yeah, it's yeah. a new one. Yeah, no spoilers, uh, I do have please. a black
0: belt in Wing Chun.
3: And uh... <laughs> what? Yeah, <laughs> what? I do. Yeah, I trained Wing Chun yeah anyways i mean that was yeah that was yeah that's a great film That's a good choice it's it's yeah it was a good good movie though Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah this kind of idea of having to look downstream and communicating with farmers so you have a kind of practical change that they could make that reduces emissions increases animal welfare um but this is based on would you call what you were doing there kind of modeling or was that
3: yeah it's it's, i wouldn't say modeling it's more like a systems-based like analysis
1: so i think i know what a systems-based analysis Mm. is because i spend too much time going to kind of fancy you know like innovative food systems things you know so so what what is a i don't know what it
2: is what is a systems-based analysis
3: i think Mm. uh, i think gary touched upon this before it's basically like Looking at something and understanding the interconnectedness between different actors and different elements, and then when you're trying to have a solution or when you're trying to like make a change, you look at the implications it has on these different actors and different entities. So that's for me systems analysis. I'm sure somebody can define it mm. much better than me. But but it's uh, it's interesting because of the interconnectedness. Exactly. You, yeah. You
0: know, you you can press one button somewhere and something you would never have thought is connected to that suddenly becomes a huge problem of you know, course it yeah. might not have been a problem before and you think you're trying to do something out of the best intentions and you you make this change because you think it's going to be positive but it has a negative effect somewhere else
3: exactly or yeah.
0: you know or vice versa something you do that people think is quite negative might actually have some positive impact elsewhere definitely um, yeah. and this interconnectedness and the trade-offs is just you know it's one of the most fascinating things i think about agricultural science
3: yeah, and I think there are, like, some methods, very common ones, life cycle analysis, you know, where you not only look at the production or, like, where you look at, like, the, from the point it's produced at the end of life, so you follow the product through the entire supply chain so you know, like, what's going to happen, so, you know, you're not, like, only focusing on one element. And that's that's pretty useful, I think, yeah. Mm.
1: As a, I I'd suppose you'd call me, like, a fairly traditional scientist, like, you know, biology... Yeah, kind of thing. You're not um, traditional,
3: Hannah. You do a lot of stuff. I mean, <laughs> so I, I wouldn't say, I mean, I've seen you enough. Like, I'm, I'm, yeah.
1: I don't think I mean traditional in like a who I am. I mean, in terms of my training yeah, sure. is yeah. that you, you kind of, you read papers and you do labs or you do field work and that kind of thing. But this, view of so normally in these kind of experiments you are you know i don't know manipulating I'm, I'm thinking back to like my physics days where you like you put more weights on a spring and you wait to see when it snaps you For know sure. you are literally focusing on you know like a spring and some weights like it's a very focused and that's quite often what you get taught as a kind of scientist growing up is that you focus on one really small thing but actually what you do is completely different to that yeah right you have to see the whole world Big
2: picture thinking
1: yeah do you get training in that is that something that you can learn how to do
3: I think I've been quite lucky uh, because I've been in interdisciplinary programs and one of the advantages of I mean I think it's it can be taught definitely but I think I got it from experience because interacting with people from different disciplines you sort of understand seminal concepts in their fields And you also have an ability to sort of like go into something and really quickly absorb the important things or important aspects Mm -hmm. in those areas. And you also establish a common language um, within a diverse group of people. And I think that communication that this can sort of like, you know, uh, really makes you like, yeah, aware of things that's beyond like your specialized area. So, I mean, I've been in two interdisciplinary programs, and my PhD was also interdisciplinary. Um, so I think I've been quite lucky to be in that environment, I guess. So Yeah, yeah. so
1: I did my, also, I kind of lied a little bit. I was, yeah, I lied, I shock, it, horror. I knew it. <laughs> um, my undergraduate degree was an interdisciplinary science degree. And I think what you were talking about there about language is really important. And I think it's why the podcast really tries to have like a jargon buzzer because I find that you can understand the concept, but if you don't know the specific language that a scientist yeah. is talking about, like, it's, it's nothing people think, Oh, I don't understand the words. Therefore I'm not smart. It's nothing about intelligence. It's about you just, you know, not being able to use the same words. Like language is mm. really important for science. And, you know, you were talking about working with a philosopher. So I'm guessing you've had to kind of go over to the dark side.
3: That, <laughs> that was, I mean, at the time it was quite difficult because the way philosophers—I don't know if you know how they write—but um but they write in
1: I don't frequently read <laughs> philosophy articles or I No, thoughts, but I mean, I'm afraid
3: I, I, me, me too. But I mean, it was just like quite, <laughs> quite interesting because uh, the point, like you know, making a hypothesis and then arguing for it and against it, which I mean, you know, like it's a bit different from like how we scientists do it because we already have hypothesis and then we kind of prove it or something. But the way they take this approach of like going, they also have to talk against it or something and and the writing style is so different from the way a natural scientist like me writes mm. um, so it was like quite interesting to work with him and sort of like understand how where he's coming from and then you know putting something together that flows that was it because in the beginning it was like quite clear that this section is written by him and this section is by me mm. and I was like you know but we kind of like got together and uh, and this whole idea of this animal welfare emissions thing actually uh, came from a conversation over a few beers. so you know, like uh, it's also important to like you know maybe like yeah have friends That's and uh, go out and like you yeah, know, talk yeah. to people All about the best science. No, that yeah, way. I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, you called yourself then a natural scientist. Do you think oh, you no. are? Because yeah. so yeah. I see you as a scientist because yeah. you've got a PhD, you work on science stuff, you yeah. have a really fancy computer, you have like cool code and stuff. Like I don't know, that to me is is science. Do you yeah. call yourself a? Well, you have just called yourself a scientist.
3: I did, yeah. Um, but we
1: caught you out. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I shouldn't have. Like, you know, I should have been prepared. I know, uh, but
3: um, yeah, I think I think I'm a scientist, but I never actually felt like a traditional scientist uh, in a way that like one that works in a lab or works on specialized things and like really goes very deep into like certain topics. Um, uh, I mean, for me, like 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 we discussed before, I'm more of a big picture, like systems focused kind of guy. Um, So I understand the concepts, of course, but for me, I want to, like, develop solutions that has an impact or where I can see a change in, like, behavior or Mm -hmm. I can recommend something that's a bit more practical. I I I don't know. I mean, I think in my head, at least, I feel like I'm not exploring topics, like, super deep or, like, I'm not, like, studying something for 10 years or something. I I touch upon a lot of aspects and I think it's probably impossible to, like research all of these things in detail i don't know if i answered the question right <laughs>
1: no this is I'm an opportunity like for a you big, to do some therapy on how you feel as a this scientist.
2: is a very philosophical podcast <laughs> I,
3: feel, I feel like an imposter <laughs> <Yeah. now. Welcome laughs> to
0: the philosophy of <laughs> feeding <laughs> the world, the <laughs> world. Yeah.
1: i reckon the philosophy of feeding the world would be a good spin-off yeah i think so, G, are you free <laughs> Oh <no>. yeah <laughs>
0: I'm not yeah. So no. which philosophy is most likely to feed the world? Stoicism or empiricism? Who can hmm. say? I Welcome think... Welcome back. <laughs> Therefore, <laughs> oh, I am. <okay>. Things <laughs> took a turn.
3: No. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Should we talk about some stuff that's not shit? Or do we want to talk about yeah, stuff that's shit? I wanted shit? to
0: talk about some stuff that wasn't shit. Um, I wanted well. to talk about um, <laughs> food choices. <laughs> Um, I know that this is one of the things that you've looked at a fair amount and we've talked about it in the past and this kind of question of how do people make better food choices. It's really hard. I admit that even after, you know, working in a place like this, um, you know, where sustainability is such a huge thing, I still walk into the supermarket and I think sometimes I just grab what I grab. You know, I want chicken tonight. I grab the chicken. I want this tonight. I grab this. And it's hard to know how to bring in all of this complexity into
3: my food Definitely, choices. You know, I don't no, want to yeah. have... It, yeah, know. yeah, so... No. Yeah, I mean, it's <clears throat> it's difficult for me as well. But I think, yeah, I mean, now you've thrown, like, health also into the equation, yeah. which is, makes it a bit more complex as well. But I, I think, like, there's two ways of, like, looking at sustainability of food. I think one is definitely we talked about a lot from the production side of things. We're, like, you know, trying to, like, make it more sustainable from the production side. But also, like, consumers, also choices that consumers has, has an impact on sustainability as well. Mm-hmm. And also on their own personal health. Um, I, but there's so much information out there in terms of, you know, like, uh, what a normal person can comprehend and... I mean, I might have an Excel table on my computer where you know I have information on the nutrient composition and the environmental impact of different food products. But I mean, I myself cannot like go to supermarket and make choices based on that. And I think uh, recent surveys that came out, like from YouGov, I think um, almost two thirds of the consumers um, want information about food. Um, So I mean, I, I mean, why I'm talking about this is because as I'm sort of like plugging my startup here. Uh, right.
1: <laughs> what is the point of having a podcast if, if you can't, can't do a shameless plug? I yeah.
3: no, 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 but I mean, uh, no, it's just that like something that I worked on for like the last one year was basically uh, trying to give uh, like a digital service for consumers when they're shopping online for food, like, you know, basically if you use Ocado or like Amazon Fresh or something, um, a very easy way to communicate alternate choices that have a similar nutritional value to what you choose but lower environmental impact. So, I mean, the consumer really doesn't have to sort of crunch the numbers or like understand, you know, the system so much, but they can easily like, you know, replace things in the trolley once they buy something and just giving choices and information to consumers to make them more empowered about their choices. Mm. And it's optional. I mean, they don't have to sort of, you know, make that choice. And it's sort of, like, have a, has a gamification approach as well. In the end, where you can compare yourself in terms of, you know, the emissions that you saved or, like, environmental impact that you had with respect to your community or, like, the UK or the world or whatever. So um, it, that was just something that, you know... And I think it's super important that consumers also take action and feel sort of responsible. For can our, I yeah. challenge that? Sure.
1: I think we're, we're, a, we're a safe space, the Science of Eden yeah, World podcast. Okay. Um, I... I'm a bit cautious about putting all of the emphasis on consumer behaviors and consumer choice. I think when the thing that concerns me is that the power that these large corporations have over what we is massive, like it is huge. And sometimes I wonder if all of this push on kind of like ethical guilt you have a water bottle, therefore you, you know, like if you have like a plastic, wall, you buy a bottle of water, you failed. If you, I don't know, eat a beef burger, you committed some mortal crime. And I I kind of wonder how much of that is my fault as a consumer and how much of this is kind of bigger corporations saying, Hannah, you're the one who is ruining the planet because you have a, you know, you bought a bottle of water and, you know, actually, is it my fault that, I've bought the bottle of water or is it the fact that we don't have free water station points more regularly and Mm. you know and and this kind of pushing it on to the consumer don't get me wrong consumer awareness is obviously really important and I think we should all know more and you know but how much of it should be me and how much of it should be the big corporations that are the ones who you know Tesco's delivery like their logistics is going to have more pollution than me and my car
3: yeah I mean that's a that's a a very good point I think like I mean I would not say that Consume it should be completely consumer driven um, of course i mean but if you look at like some of the movements that's happening um, around the world in terms of corporations and companies uh, the the last uh, like you know the climate change the cop conference of parties that happened in it was supposed to happen madrid? In, it was supposed mm. to happen in peru but it happened in madrid for some reason i don't know why mm. but it was yeah whatever it happened in madrid but yeah the number of companies that actually committed to reducing emissions almost doubled um And also, so, I mean, and then you also have these kind of, like, you know, carbon disclosure projects and stuff where companies are voluntarily reporting the emissions. So, I see a lot of positives coming from that side. Uh, Why I talked about consumers was that I think uh, there is, I mean, consumers does have an impact on the demand and on the market. So, I mean, I'm not supporting the vegan, uh, I shouldn't say I'm not supporting, but, I I mean, there's a vegan uh, revolution that's happening. And, I mean, if you see, like, the steady growth of, like, vegans and, you know, with January and... All these things you see more people like sort of uh changing their preferences and the market is sort of like adapting to sort of like cater to those needs so i think there is some power in terms of consumer choices and in influencing a companies or corporations sort of like what they want to provide as well but i mean i wouldn't i mean like, i agree with you like that it's not only like you know guilt tripping the consumer into like making them feel bad or something i, think, I don't think that's the way. Uh, I think it's more like encouraging them and giving them information and making it optional. And that's why I said this service that we wanted to provide was optional. So we're not guilt tripping them into something. It's basically like you have the information, you choose what you want to do. It's kind of helping them to make the choices that they want to make. Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
0: it's very hard to make because the information is just so complex. No, it's it's super
3: complex. I mean, one of the things that we realized was like, you know, some things that you feel like, uh, for instance, lamb, for instance, that's produced in New Zealand is more... Uh, less has less emissions than lamb that's produced in uk uh because they have a better growing condition there so i mean people sometimes think oh local is always the best you know Mm. uh, you know like uh, something that comes from outside is not the best but that's not always the case i mean a lot of our uh, fruit and veg in the uk comes from spain because Mm. it's it's sort of impossible to like sort of grow them there you can't grow a lettuce Mm, here mm, now but you mm. can in spain yeah exactly so i mean but people they're just going with this attitude that oh i'm just gonna have local food and it's gonna be good for the environment it's not always true so it's true there's a lot of kind of counterintuitive exactly yeah Yeah. Yeah. and I think I also looked at coffee or something and I've, I've,
0: I've written down a quote from one of your thing, the bits the slides that you sent over saying yeah. this is the case for coffee personally I don't know where my coffee comes from but if somebody told me uh, sorry personally I don't care where my coffee comes from but if somebody told me that coffee from Kenya had 365% more greenhouse gas emissions than coffee from Brazil then I would definitely reconsider my choice
3: yeah because I don't have the information and I mean I'm not I'm not going sure of coffee like i mean i can taste between good and bad coffee but yeah you know like yeah i
0: just a cup of coffee, a cup of coffee too. yeah I'm exactly not, yeah, have, yeah. No, i'm instant coffee all the way but i constantly get yeah. kind of berated I, by people like how can you it's a coffee I, I think proper
3: coffee <laughs> no <laughs> i don't care it's, it's quite interesting because i mean i don't know like some companies like i mean it's very interesting to see skyscanner like doing so some... i saw this hmm. recently i would not seen it
0: before yeah um so you can now you get kind of eco choices for your flights and things like that. I mean, that, do they, you wanna...
3: they're not forcing you into anything. They're just basically saying that if you take this flight, there's your carbon footprint. If you take this one, there's your carbon footprint. You have the you have the price alongside it. It's your choice. Mm. So I mean, this is like it's, it's it's you know I mean and also like this is oat milk called Oatly, uh, and they put the carbon emissions on the packaging.
1: They're not um, the first to. No, no, they're not. No, yet. no,
3: they're not. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, like, I mean, once I see, um, but it's it's quite interesting. Like, I mean, it's it's not like you know, it's so sort of like forcing. Do you, yeah,
1: I don't know. I, the thing that concerns me. So, Richard Branson on Virgin Atlantic has recently stopped serving beef, mm. but you're still. I don't know how many thousands and thousands of flights Virgin have a day mm. is. Is taking action on not serving, you know, and I think I think this is my concern about kind of consumers and corporations is that, you know, you they 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 transfer the guilt or the 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 action, the call to action is therefore placed, and I and I yeah. understand the need for people to want to take control, and I think food is one of the things, you know, food or buying flights or how we travel is some of the things that we can legitimately control i can't change how a farmer applies manure or what conditions pigs are kept in but yeah, sure. i understand taking taking control but no mm. sometimes i'm a bit kind of like
3: yeah i mean there's always this yeah fear of like you do something small which is right and then you have this entitlement of like doing something super bad uh, but <laughs> uh, you know like yeah but these are like again we're back to philosophy yeah. uh n- no but I mean I just this is like just like you know I think I think there's a lot of information out there and consumers are not making the right choices given
1: the, Do you the... think science can make the right you know so we've talked about the huge complexities of the systems you know you're a kind of this big picture thinker sure. and you're thinking about how you know animal welfare impacts on emissions something that perhaps someone like me would never have thought to to think about is it possible to is the data there yet are we at the the point of saying coffee from one place is better than coffee from another place.
3: I think this is like super important question. I think like so. I also like work with systems, like thinking into the future and stuff like that. Like you know, what would the world look like in 2050, or how would we feed ourselves in 2050? But one of the things that's gonna really come through is AI and machine learning and a lot of digital solutions. And it's already happening with blockchain technologies and things like that. So now you can really track a food from like the point. I mean, not now, but you will be able to track of food
1: well, traceability is because yes. that's the other exactly. thing is you, you yeah. don't want to pay they have it with things like olive oil like spanish olives getting sold to italy to then come out of italy as italian olive oil and you exactly. like well this yep. is because exactly. it, it's so food traceability mm-hmm. is a massive concern for
3: and also like big, s- c- safety as well trust i mean more transparency in supply chain i think with all these technologies coming up like i think you'll be exactly i mean now people say there's a lot of uncertainty i mean you'll be able to reduce uncertainty in terms of environmental impact or safety and things like that like a lot because you exactly know where the food is actually produced when it was packed exactly where it was stored how it was stored and when it come to the country and how it get to the aisle mm. so i think uh, yeah i mean there's a lot of power in digital solutions and i think people already there's a lot of startups and a lot of small you know companies that are targeting this space i think it's one to watch out for in the future for sure
1: i have some more questions on this kind of startup journey that you've okay. been taking mm. So you're a scientist Mm -hmm. and you are paid, I assume, through government money. I don't know exactly about your contract, but Mm -hmm. generally speaking, science gets paid for by government money. So there's a lot of people in science who think perhaps sometimes this is government money we shouldn't commercialize it so we shouldn't make you know you shouldn't okay, have these yeah. kind of startups but you know i'm not saying that's right or wrong but mm. that's an opinion what were your personal motivations for um starting up think food
3: um i think first of all it was just that i just i mean i i mean i'm quite interested in like any of these initiatives that happen around communication outreach or like innovation um and that was just the primary interest i mean i was not looking at commercializing it uh you know in the in the beginning um and, and the idea seemed cool to me because I've always worked on uh, looking at the environmental impact of food um, from production to the point where it goes to the supermarkets. Uh, and I thought I had like a niche in there, like in terms of skill sets. Um, and also when the idea developed through in terms of adding health and nutrition to it as well. And sort of like, you know, the whole I mean, it was, it was, I mean, I think my motivation was just that I could actually like work on something and use my science to like make a real time impact. And actually, could see it coming through in terms of you know actually working with consumers, taking their inputs, and also like working with people like Gary and like other communications people and stuff, and how to communicate the science effectively. Um, and that that was just my motivation. I mean, I, I wasn't looking at like uh, the next billion dollar it's business one or of something. The yeah,
0: things that, about it that was most interesting to me is the translational part of it. Yeah, exactly. There's definitely, yeah. you know, and you read a lot about this online in the culture of science there's there's the whole publish or perish if you're not publishing you know what are you even doing as a scientist you there, are a, failed, you're yeah. a failure as a scientist and i think that misses the point that we're, we're trying to we've got this huge challenge and if you're going to study something on some new way of housing pigs or whatever it is you've got to make sure that that makes it out to the farmer and that actually gets put into practice and if all, of course, you, you yeah. know and sometimes i guess a constant stream of publish do the research move on to the next project it doesn't always make sure that that research makes it out there and i think this kind of stuff moves yeah, i mean I think, towards yeah that. i think
3: this communication translating the science is super important and i mean it's, it's really important to also work with stakeholders as well for instance i think i mean when i was doing my undergrad uh, we were like in india and i was we were designing like a water purification system for like uh, people and we found out like oh, bone ash was like a really good material to use to p- bring out like some heavy metals or something
1: so what what, what is it
3: it's like uh, like you know the powdered bone ash uh, so it's like i mean you just like yeah just uh, waste products like or something of bone ash from animals or something oh
1: but okay yeah. yeah
3: um so it was like really good for removing like certain heavy metals or something but we didn't we didn't talk to anyone <laughs> <laughs> about this yeah and then we quickly figured out that the people in that region where Hindus like it's a religion in India and they're like very averse to like having any animal sort of mm. element you know and we were like clinicalism no it's absolutely fine you're not gonna have any of that stuff in the water but they were like no but we just can't accept it and we were like okay <laughs> like we should have had this conversation before you know we should have talked to them before Um, so it's not only like doing the best science it's also like about you know like understanding how people are going to use it or how it will impact people and how it can influence people
1: and but i suppose that's where they're kind of these these uh the, the jargon would be like these feedback loops come in so you can actually improve the quality of the science you do because you're not wasting money on things that are never going to happen you can make sure mm-hmm. that we're more efficient you know if you speak to farmers about how they grow pigs sure. you can figure out what is a as a reasonable idea and then you can try and Kind of make differences. That's and interesting. Power.
0: And you you spoke about this before when you were doing the flowering strips, saying like it's really important to get out there in the field and, and do the research in a way that's applicable, because you can easily set up an experiment and find that actually it doesn't scale to the field yeah. or something like that.
1: Yeah, and I think quite often this does sound quite like jargony and business speak. You know, like stakeholder sure. yeah. net. You know, uh, multi-stakeholder networks and stuff. And you're just kind of like that is just boring but actually i think sometimes that's the criticism of scientists is that we don't make efforts to speak we don't have fantastic podcasts like the science of feeding the world <laughs> oh that's a good um, plug
3: <laughs> no but i mean hannah i have to say that uh, the video that you made on the carrot strips was like amazing and i you think everybody should to my should, twitter i know check it out on twitter because it's really really cool <laughs> Uh, And also, like, with the startup thing, just, I mean, just to conclude, maybe, um, I think why I did that was, like, this whole mentality of, like, actually constantly communicating and, like, you know, translating that back into the science is so prevalent when you're in that startup uh, zone, uh, much more than when you're doing, like, science in terms of publishing papers, because you're just, like, you know, okay, I mean, I'm not demeriting or discounting the science. You need both. You need both. Yeah, I think and I really got exposed to that because people were like, you know, more about the impact more about how, how, how people use it. Like, I mean, what is the interface or like, how, do you, how are you communicating it? I mean, that is more important. And science is important as well. But it was a good environment to be in to sort of understand that concept.
1: Do you find it difficult when you go from thinking about... So you're sat at your desk, you are thinking about a model, you've got some like Fortran code, your screen on your computer is probably like black, I'm guessing. Every every day, yeah. But you have a black screen because you're cool. Um, And then see, it's like proper matrix style stuff. So you're thinking about like a model. Uh And then you kind of get an email in that's about um gary's emailing you he's like oh we've got this opportunity to to come on a podcast or something you know and so then you start having to think about how to communicate your work and then the next minute you're like oh god there's that pitching competition that i'm in and that's like an entrepreneurship hat and then you're like oh i need to claim some expenses so that's like an admin hat and then you're like oh i need a personal life so you have like you know your normal hat how do you find juggling how do you juggle that
3: Hannah, have you been stalking me? Like what? <laughs> like, exactly my life for the last two months? Uh, uh, yeah, it's 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 super difficult. I mean, I think uh, it's it's it it has been very difficult for me um, because yeah, besides the day job and managing all these things that you just said, because um, at one time yeah, I was working for the startup, I was doing my day job, I was also involved in other projects. Um, I, I think it's just. I mean, I I was super passionate about doing it because I mean, my heart was in all of these things, so I think it was not like super difficult to sort of like sacrifice a weekend or work a bit extra i mean just like you guys are doing this after hours because i mean yeah you guys are invested in this idea right i mean so i mean i was invested in all of these projects that are interested in so it was not forced on me and it was i signed up for these things so i mean i shouldn't be <laughs> complaining i mean
1: so it's just like no, it's, it's i don't think it's, it's complaining good. i think it's yeah. more like how do you balance that yeah
3: um, i mean yeah <sighs> Uh, or yeah, do you do you just do it? I, I just go with the flow. I think like I mean yeah, I don't have a strategy for like like <laughs> telling people how to do it. But I mean
1: you're not there juggling. No no I'm not, yeah, no. Yeah. Uh,
3: but it is it is quite hard because I mean you have to multitask quite a bit, yeah. That's buy true. the ticket, take the ride.
0: Exactly, yeah. 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 What's that from? Is that Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas? I can't remember.
3: That's, yeah. Another yeah, yeah, reference anyway. Hannah does yeah, yeah everyone. <laughs> Jerry says
2: this, Hannah says that. I've really been enjoying this chat but I think we should move on to the next session now, thanks jingle, so
0: you have a sheet, these are the thousand most commonly used English words Um, you have to describe kind of what we've just talked about or your science using only those words, it can be just a short sentence, you know and we will attempt to do the same I I get some time, time. right? you get some time, yeah, we're just going to leave the recording
3: so
1: so, Sajib, welcome back Mm -hmm. What is your sentence?
3: I said, change the business as usual to make food better. For people and the environment. So I love awesome. how the wow. thing
1: explainer yeah. is generally about not using jargon yeah. and you managed to fit business, jargon, as business as usual. As
3: usual. That's <laughs> that's actually, I because I mean, that's no usual. It's yeah, only, yeah. Is it like usually? That's, so, fine. that's, that's fine. fine. You yeah. can make an adjustment like that. That's okay. Great. Yeah. No, I just <laughs> like completely general. like business <laughs> as usual. I like that you got that in there. I beat the system, didn't <laughs> I? Like, I was like, beat the system. A <laughs> thousand common words. It's like, Yeah, no, I use the most jargony one. No, business as usual is like the same old. But change the same mold to make food better.
0: I got using computers to study connections between all factors of food production.
3: Wow!
1: Where did you get that? you know. I wanted okay. to put
0: because uh, couple, couple is on there. We, I thought we, you could have coupling. Is that? That's the thing that models do. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. I feel like an idiot for <laughs> making that sentence.
1: Oh. I'm now going to sound like a primary school child. You look at the whole world to make it better. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, it should be like my, highly specific. It should and be like uh, to... my superhero tagline or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and now we <laughs> go
1: to the nursery. I've,
2: I've gone to the yeah, for a similar sort of theme. Uh, look at the big picture, see the future.
3: Nice. Oh. Oh. It's a, a political that slogan. That was like a out strat line. There. Yeah, yeah. 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 See I'm see getting such an ego boost now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I should do this podcast <laughs> often.
2: Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Philosophy of Feeding the World. <laughs> uh, thank you very much to you for coming to us. Thank you It's really
3: good. Really good. Yeah.
2: Theme music. You are listening to a podcast, but what is that podcast? It's the science of feeding the world. Yes, yes, Thank you very much for listening to the Science of Feeding the World podcast. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share. And if you want to get in touch, please search for us at the Science of Feeding the World podcast on all your favorite social medias. And we'll see you next time.
1: Social medias?
2: (laughs) On all your favourite social platforms. Social (laughs) media? Okay,
1: boomer. Media? I don't know. (laughs)